Welcome into this week's episode of Cape Podcast. I'm your host, Emma Carmen. We are so excited to welcome Christopher Price on for today's episode. Christopher is an award-winning sports reporter for the Boston Globe who covered college and professional sports in Boston for two decades prior. Christopher, thanks so much for coming on today. We're super excited to have you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to come on anytime and talk about the Cape League. Love it. So as I mentioned, reporter for the Globe, what does a kind of typical day in your life look like right now? A little bit of everything, quite honestly. I'm a, it, it's a lot of fun because we we have, you know, obviously the Celtics are playing well and there's constant coverage there. Uh, the U.S. Open, the men's U.S. Open is coming up uh, in, in mid-June. We could be we could be seeing a weekend where the game six and game seven of the NBA finals are going on the same weekend of the U.S. Open. So um, and that's in addition to obviously the Red Sox the Patriots, the, you know, the, the Bruins are always making moves, the revolution. And so something's always going on with them. So it's always busy. And one of my jobs is specifically to to handle the web coverage, uh, the digital coverage. And so most nights, what I will end up doing is if you go to bostonglobe.com backslash sports, I'm the guy who moves the stuff on the page around. I'm the guy who moves the stories up to the top of the page, down to the bottom of the page. You know, I add video, I add photos, that kind of stuff. I also do writing when stories come up that need attention. So um, I think last night I did two basketball stories and a hockey brief. And so, like I said, it's never dull. It's never boring. I love baseball um, and really football has become kind of more and more of my beat over the years, but I, I love baseball. So any excuse to, to write about baseball for the Boston Globe, I'm all in. Absolutely. So you've covered sports your whole life within the Cape, big fan of the Cape Cod Baseball League for years. So what are some of those stories, you know, that you've covered back in the past, specifically with baseball and the Cape that have stood out to you? Uh, it, it's been a blast getting a chance to cover even you know the Cape League for a few years. I worked for the Barnstool Patriot uh, for, I believe, three years down there and getting a chance to cover. Uh, obviously, the focus was on Hyannis and Katuit, but getting it, you know, getting an opportunity to do league wide stuff. In addition to the book I wrote in the early night or the, the late 90s, I'm sorry, Baseball by the Beach. Um, my favorite stories really, uh, honestly, are there's two different kinds of stories. First of all, the guys who you get to identify on Cape Cod as future stars, and you get to say, I saw Darren Erstad first when he played for Falmouth for a couple of years. I saw Nomar Garcia Parra and Jay Payton and that great 1993 Orleans Cardinals team or the, you know, the, the Brewster teams the last couple of years that have won, you know, a couple of championships. Those are really a lot of fun for me to do to be able to identify those guys to say look you know I was early and I knew that Darren Erstad was going to be a big time player and so those are fun the other ones are really uh, along the lines of what we saw last year in, in Brewster where you get this great collection of of players and while they're not necessarily the best players individually they come together over the course of the summer as a team and, and those are a lot of fun to see those instances and we've seen it Time and time again, we see it really every summer on Cape Cod where these players will come from all over the United States and they don't know each other, even though the world of college baseball is fairly close. These guys come together and they become part of something bigger than themselves and they understand what it takes to succeed. It's something resembling professional baseball. 
you know, they're playing five and six days a week. They're facing really great competition when it comes to, you know, the, the opposing pitchers. They're hitting with wood for the first time over an extended basis. And they're playing in these small towns that are not unlike single or double A teams or single or double A towns, you know, in, in the minors. And so to be able to see guys like that understand the game and understand what it takes and take their game from this level to this level and be a part of a team and, and kind of really start to understand what it's going to take for them to succeed in their journey. Those stories are really, really special as well. So really ultimately answer your question that, you know, it's, it's a two-part thing where you get to identify the guys and you get to play amateur scout and you get to say, this guy's going to be a star, but you also get to see these teams come together and do something great. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, you know, back in the 90s, obviously, it's a lot different from probably what you see nowadays. So what kind of changes did you notice from a sports writer perspective and from a fan perspective of the league back then to now? The league's become bigger. The league has, has really done a good job when it comes to uh, marketing and mm -hmm. embracing the, the it, it, it's in a weird situation here. Let me let me start by saying that it's in it's in a unique situation because the league needs to maintain that small town charm mm -hmm. and that kind of that, that, that baseball charm that goes along with being the Cape league, you know, it goes along with being what the league is. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's this great, these great villages and you want to be able to keep that. But at the same time, you want to be able to embrace the technology. You want to be able to embrace the changes. You want to be able to embrace social media and get the word out there and I think the league has done a very good job with that, with Facebook, with Twitter, with Instagram, also being able to put games on Nesson, I think is huge. I think that's very, very important. And so it's a fine line sometimes. And I understand the difficulties because you do want to keep that small town charm, but you also want to be able to make the league accessible to younger, play younger, younger faces. And so I think they've done very well. And I think they'll continue to do very well on that. But really for me, that's probably the biggest thing is that They've embraced technology mm -hmm. while keeping that old school charm that so many older fans have, have come to know and love. And after speaking with a bunch of players, they mentioned it's the fastest three months of their life. It's all about going to the Cape and just hanging out and enjoying time with players. But with the time that you covered them, were there any specific teams? I know you mentioned Katuit, but any teams or players that you really enjoyed covering that kind of have stuck with you to this day? I, for me, the summer that I started doing the book in 1994, mm -hmm. I had a chance to really spend some time with Darren Erstad. And he was great. He mm -hmm. was absolutely fantastic. And he was really the first guy for me, one of the first guys that sticks out as a memorable character uh, when, it, when it came to covering him. Um, the, the Brewster teams of the last couple of years, they've had a bunch of guys like that. Uh, and while I haven't necessarily covered them specifically, um, I've gotten to know them a little bit through the Brewster front office and through the, you know, through Jamie Shevchik. Um, it, it's, it's, boy, this is a really good question. I'm going to have to th really think about that. The 93 Orleans team, like I said before, was a lot of fun mm -hmm. to, to get to know some of those guys a little bit. I, again, the 94 Falmouth team with Darren Erstad, getting a chance to be a part of the 1996 Falmouth team for a little bit for like three weeks when I was a bullpen catcher and I, for, for a story I did for, for baseball America, nice. that was, that was a blast to do as well, getting a chance to, to get to know those guys. Um, but the great thing is every single team, every single year has those individuals, has those, those players that, you know, you get a chance to talk to, you get a chance to spend time with a little bit. And 
the stories that they have are, are, you know, really, really legendary. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And when you mentioned this book, Baseball by the Beach, kind of when did this idea come about? When did you kind of come to the philosophy as I'm going to write a book about Cape Cod Baseball League? And how did it kind of start rolling with the ball and everything? Emma, it's a really interesting story. This is the first book I'm, I've, I've, finishing up my sixth book now. And I knew as a, as a, a young kid, I loved baseball and I loved writing. And I got out of college in 1992 and I didn't have a job. And I was, I was literally, I was waiting tables in, in Washington, DC. And I said, you know what? I'm going to move back to the Cape. I was lucky enough. My parents had a little place in Brewster. Mm -hmm. And so I moved back to the Cape. I just started writing and I went to, you know, local newspapers and I, you know, tried to find people who knew about the league. And I always grew up on it. I, I always, you know, we, we would always come to the Cape every summer and I would always go to games and I would always, you know, chase foul balls. I was always one of those mm -hmm. kids, you know, as a youngster. And so it was, it was, I, I saw it as a real opportunity. No one had put together a full history of the league, mm -hmm. at least at that point. And so I just started writing and I went to, like I said, I went to people who knew about the league and I went to, you know, coaches and players and, you know, presidents and talked to people and kind of got a sense of, you know, where everything started. And I kind of started putting things together. And in the, in the meantime, I got another job. And so kind of, it, it took a lot longer than I thought it would, but it <laughs> came out in the summer in 1998 and it was, it was so much fun to do because I had the opportunity to walk into major league clubhouses mm -hmm. and you know how you talk to big time baseball players and there's that kind of that facade of, <laughs> you know, that, that cool that, you know, that in, in, I, you start asking them about the Cape Cod baseball league and that just kind of drops away and they say, Oh, I lived here and I worked here and this was my summer job. And does this person still live there? And it was so gratifying to be able to talk to them about their Cape Cod experiences, both on and off the field, because mm -hmm. the thing that, that really resonated for me when it came to talking to these guys was that the relationships that they made with their host families still exist. Mm -hmm. And I would say 95% of these players mm -hmm. and to be able to go back and to be able to talk to the host players or to, to those families, I should say, mm -hmm. um, when they would come to Fenway and to be able to send birth announcements and wedding announcements and have Zoom conversations, you know, now in, 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 in this era of Zoom it is, is incredibly gratifying and it's incredibly rare. And I think that's one of the things that makes the Cape League really, truly great. Um, but ultimately to answer your question, I, I, the, it was a long journey. The book was a really long journey, mm -hmm. but I had so many, so much fun doing it. It was in after 20 plus years of writing and doing multiple books, it remains the most personal book I've ever written because, you know, my family has roots in the league. I have roots in the league. And to be able to be, you know, even a, a little part of that was, was really great. And you mentioned these host families, obviously a key component. I mean, everyone that I've talked to on this podcast says they love their host family. They either live with other players or just their host family. Most of them talk to them every single day. So what do you think these host families kind of have up on other leagues? I know some leagues struggle sometimes with getting them, but what's the biggest difference you've noticed from your own perspective or writing perspective with these host families located all over the Cape? It, it, it's a chance to make a connection to the game. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that, that baseball, and I'm you know, all the way from Major League Baseball all the way down to minor league, college baseball, high school, whatever the case may be, 
really struggles to do on a consistent basis mm -hmm. to be able to have an identifiable individual on the other side of those white lines that you can root for because you know you know that that they have trouble picking up their laundry you know and do it in in keeping their room clean and, and you know <laughs> taking care of all that at you know one o'clock in the morning whatever the case may be but to be able to have that connection to be able to have that human connection that one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. is 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 fantastic and i think that's one of the true advantages of being a host parent a host family is to be able to make that connection and to be able to make that friendship and to be able to create that relationship that lasts for for decades and so that's one thing that i think you know that you get when you become a host parent that you know that that may not exist in in other summer college baseball leagues like you said i, I know that some some you know, leagues struggle with that really on a consistent basis and look the cape league is always looking for a host family so you know you go into the summer sometimes not knowing if you're going to have enough beds and so I, i'm fully cognizant of that but the way the Cape League has done it over the years mm -hmm. has not only led to some great baseball, but it's also led to some fantastic relationships along the way. So with that, I went to your Twitter, had to look back. I like read every tweet about Cape League. So in January of 2011, <laughs> dating us here, you stated that you're going to be the forever be the biggest fan of the Cape League. I know you mentioned family roots there, House and Brewster. What kind of impact did the league have on you kind of as you grew up from a kid to now and your perspective of it? Oh, it was great. It, <laughs> it was like I said, I was one of those kids who was chasing foul balls. I was, you know eating ice cream and, and asking for autographs and, you know, right along the railing in, in Orleans. I remember one night in Orleans, this was 81, 80 or 80 or so. Um, I handed my program to someone on the corner of the dugout. And I asked the guy very nicely, of course, you can only do, you know, as you're 10 years old, you don't know any better. So to, to just kind of pass it along and he passed it along and I ran around the other side of the dugout and I got a program that was signed by everyone. And so it was one of those things where it made a real imprint on me as a baseball fan, but also as, as just as a resident of Cape Cod, a summertime resident of Cape Cod to be able to be there and to be able to have that emotional investment to, to follow the 1981 Orleans Cardinals. Now that they weren't expected to be all that good that year, but they made it all the way to the finals against Katuit. And it seemed like Katuit won every single bloody year I got my parents, I bugged my parents for a ride down to Katuit when the championship series was going on in Katuit. And so to be able to be that all in, to be able to care that much about something other than yourself when you're 10, 11, 12 years old, mm -hmm. I think is, is really showed me something important when it came to sports. And so um, it, it's been fantastic. It, it's been the summertime constant for me and my family now is the Cape Cod Baseball League. My son was a bat boy for the, the White Caps for five years. Um, you know, I, I continue to write for the white capped program every single summer. Mm -hmm. It's just something that's in our lives. It's something that's important to us. It's something that that's a priority for us that, you know, we plan when we go down there in July, we say, all right, the white caps are going to be home this weekend. We're going to be able to catch a couple games here. And then maybe we could drive down to YD on the way to something else and catch mm -hmm. some, you know, YD Orleans games. And I know that there's this guy who's playing, you know, this, this college all American who's playing for Katuit, and I want to get a chance to see him we really plan a lot of our vacation around the Cape Cod Baseball League. So going all the way back to when I was 10 years old mm -hmm. to, to now, it's remained a constant in my life. And so it, it's, it's, it's important. It's important to me. It's important to my family. And, you know, we make it a priority every summer.
makes a big impact on everyone for sure. So with that, I have to ask, obviously Brewster is probably the most common, but where specifically is your favorite ballpark? I know you've probably been to them all, but which one do you like the most and why? Orleans is still, this was pre-1988, before Brewster came to the league, the closest team that we had, that I was close to, was mm-hmm. Orleans. And, and Orleans, for me, there, there's still a, a, an attraction there, being able to set up a, a lawn chair you know, down the first or the third baseline is just, mm-hmm. is, is the best. And I remember going to the 1988 all-star game, um, the home run hitting competition. I, just, I remember seeing Frank Thomas hit a home run that landed. <laughs> I swear it landed on the tennis courts beyond left center field. I don't know if it was, I don't know if it landed on the courts or near the courts, but I, I swear I remember seeing it bounce up and down and think, okay, it landed off the courts. Orleans for me is still you know, if Brewster's number one, Orleans is one A. The other two that are absolutely fantastic. It, it, look, they're all great. They they all have, you know, the great at great attributes in in their own right. But but being able to go to go to a game in Chatham mm-hmm. is just absolutely special. The nineteen eighty in nineteen eighty four, the U.S. Olympic baseball team mm-hmm. played in Chatham. Was there in Chatham, and I remember seeing Oda B. McDowell hit a home run off of the roof in the the fire station in right field that again it was one of those things that the the legend grows larger with time but being able to see him hit one off the roof beyond the right field fence the roof of the 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 fire station in in right field was amazing um and then Katuit is also just so beautiful Mm -hmm. and being able to to just enjoy a game in that little diamond cut out of the woods in in, in Ketua. There's a reason that I have it as the cover on my book is because mm-hmm. the the scenery and the setting there is absolutely perfect. The other thing for me about Katuit, I'm going to be completely honest with you, Katuit has the best concessions in the league, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> hey, that's good to know. <laughs> with, without a doubt, Katuit has the best concessions in the league. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they still do it. I didn't get get a chance to get there last summer. But they, you know, they have lobster rolls. And the mm-hmm. thing that they do, or at least the thing that they did, was they would toast the hot dog buns and they would put butter on the hot dog buns. And it was just, oh, chef's it was kiss. just, it was perfect. It was, it was a chef's kiss. It was absolutely <laughs> perfect. And so, you know, for various reasons, I have my favorites for various reasons. But look, you know, you go to a game in YD. A couple of years ago, anyway, you had to get a donut burger. My son had to get a donut burger. You know, there you 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 go to a game in 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 Bourne in Wareham. It's just every single ballpark has something special about it. But for me, you know, if if I'm not going to a game in Brewster, my first picks are Orleans, Chatham, and Katuit. I love it. So obviously, you know, the Cape has made a huge impact not only on you as a kid, now your own kids. But I know with sports reporting, writing, you kind of mentioned not exactly sure what you wanted to do as a kid, then kind of got into this role now almost six books in. What is the hope for your future with either writing more books, obviously work with the globe and kind of where you see yourself? I want to continue to write books. And okay. it's that is for me, the most gratifying thing is is being able to see a project from beginning to end. I'm I'm finishing a book now in the history of the Hartford Whalers, and it's taken me six years. It's going to take six years from start to finish. The Globe, or the I'm sorry, the the Cape League book took four years, and so be, to be able to shepherd a project like that from start to finish and to have such a, a tremendous response for the Cape League book has been so gratifying and, and to be able to walk into a bookstore, walk into a library as a, as a writer, as a kid who dreamed about being a writer, to be able to walk into a bookstore or a library and to be able to see that on the shelf 
that's something special and to be able to be a part of that. And so I'd love to be able to continue to write books. Um, we're a family of writers. My wife is a writer. Um, and you know, we're, we're writing family and we're a baseball family. And mm -hmm. so I have to imagine that my books down the road, at least one of them is going to be another baseball book. I have at least <laughs> one more baseball book in me. So um, I, I want to continue to work for the globe. My dream as a kid mm -hmm. was when we would come to Cape Cod, this is back in the 1970s and early 1980s. This is obviously pre-internet. We couldn't get the Globe. And so to be able to come to the Cape Cod, to be able to read the Boston Globe, to be able to read guys like Peter Gammons and Bob Ryan and Lee Monfield, that was everything to me. And so I was like, I'm, I want to work for that. I want to work for the Boston Globe. I want to be that guy. And so to be able to get the chance now, all those years later, mm -hmm. to be able to have a Boston Globe byline is a tremendous honor for me. And to be able to tell stories through the globe, to be able to write about the Cape Cod Baseball League, to be able to write it as I did last November about Kyler Murray's experience playing for Harwich a couple of years ago, and to go back and talk to the people who saw him play and kind of craft that story and bring it to light and kind of share more stories about the Cape Cod League. It's been tremendous. It's been so much fun to do. And so it's been able to merge a lot of my passions, you know, football, you know, writing for the globe and the Cape Cod baseball league. And so I'm always on the lookout for more stories, whether it's the globe or whether it's, you know, for, for a book or a magazine piece, whatever the case may be. So I guess really the short answer to your question is <laughs> the future is going to involve more writing, hopefully you know, writing about the Cape Cod baseball league. Mm -hmm. Love it. So with that, obviously new book coming out, everyone listening, viewing, <laughs> be on the watch for that. So before we wrap up this episode, any last stories or anything you want to share with our listeners, whether it's about Globe, anything you've been working on, Cape League, or any last advice? One of the things, I can tell you two things. One of the things that, that really kind of illustrates how much of a baseball family we are is that um, when my son went to a Brewster day camp for the first time, mm -hmm. when he was six, I think it was, either six or seven, I don't know, six or seven, um, and he made friends with a pitcher named Tony Butcher who was pitching for Brewster that summer out of Michigan State. And they became thick as thieves. They were just close. It was fantastic. My son ended up going to camp for a couple of weeks and they were buddies. And at the end of camp, he said, so what's next for Tony? What is he? I said, well, you know, he goes back to college and then, you know, he pitches well, he gets drafted. And for a second, my son was really excited. He's like, that's great. We could see Tony in the major leagues. But then he said, well, what happens if he gets drafted by the Yankees? And it was, <laughs> there was a moment of, oh no, what are we going to do? And I said, well, you know, we can root for Tony. We don't necessarily want to root for the Yankees in this house because we're a Red Sox family. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and he's like, okay, we can do that. We'll, we'll do, he was very like, okay. He kind of made his peace with the idea that, you know what? All right. We'll in, in, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I believe it was drafted by the White Sox, but there, there are a lot of stories that really illustrate for me how, and it goes beyond the baseball, like I said before, it goes to the heart of the relationship between the fan, the kid, the player and the game to be able to strike up those relationships, to be able to make those kind of connections. There was a pit, there was, there was a guy who played for Brewster and went out of going playing for YD a couple of years ago when my son was a bad kid named Gio Brusa. Mm -hmm. And my son was always very, very polite when he was working as a bad kid. I said, look, you don't want to talk to these guys. They're at work. They're in their on deck circle. You know, they're, this is part of, you know, their process. So you don't, you want to be very careful about that. Um, and one of the first games he had was Gio 
was in the on-deck circle. And Gio Brusa, one of the nicest guys you will ever, ever meet. Just fantastic. There's a reason that people in Brewster and YD speak so highly of him. He played a couple of years here. Fantastic kid. He, um, he started talking to my son. Just like, hey, what kind of bat you use? You know, you play ball. What kind of? And my son looks back at me and is like, oh, what, what do I do here? He's, he's talking to me. He's like, so I said, yeah, you can, you can go with that. You know, you can go with that. So, but, but again, to be able to make those kind of connections, we, we said it was funny. We saw Gio and his family out later that summer, and he recognized my son. And my son dined out on that for like a week. And so, um, it, it, to be able to make those connections, to be able to kind of create those relationships, are just so special. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for the Cape League, I don't want to say those relationships wouldn't exist, but to be able to grow the game, to mm-hmm. be able to make that connection, to be able to foster that kind of relationship with a, a player and a family and the game of baseball and the Cape League, it's just, it's absolutely beautiful mm-hmm. when, you, when, you, when you come right down to it. And the league continues to do that year after year. That's the real special thing about the Cape Cod Baseball League. Look, we can talk all the live long day about the baseball and, you know, how one in seven guys in the the majors, you know, started in the Cape League and the level of play and the coaches and, you know, but it, it's, it's the relationships and the volunteers are really what continue to make the Cape League as great as it is. And those rela- relationships last a lifetime for sure from every perspective, which is amazing. So last thing, we'll be answering a couple quick questions and then just giving me the answers off the top of your head. It's kind of the fun part before we wrap it up. So question one is have to ask, where is your absolute favorite spot on the Cape, whether it's a restaurant, beach, ballpark, anything like that? Marconi, Marconi Beach in Wellfleet. And then to to kind of top off the day, you know, as as a family, we, and we've done this a, a roughly a half a million times over the years to going from Marconi to the beachcomber for like an early dinner. Love it. That's, that's the, the best spot, the best spot on the Cape. And then if you play your cards right too, maybe something good is playing at the drive-in. And so, you know, you go to Marconi, you go to the, you know, the beachcomber, and you go to the drive-in. That's a perfect day. Perfect day. <laughs> if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Boy, that's a good, that's a good one. My first thought is the ability to fly mm-hmm. just to be able to just to be able to tell people I could fly. I don't, that's, a good, that's a good one though. The Cape traffic on a Friday. Just exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's the perfect. Exactly. That's why to that be able to, so, so, so I could get from Metro West up here in Boston down to Brewster <laughs> like that. Love it. Uh, what is one thing that people don't know about you or like a very small group? Oh, well, that's a good question. That's a really good question. <laughs> um, Okay, I can tell you a quick story. I, the, the, re, the One of the reasons why I became a baseball player or became, became a, a, a sports writer was because I played Little League when I was a kid and I saw my first real curveball when I was about 11 years old. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I said, this baseball career is not going to work. And I, <laughs> and I just said, okay, look. And so I literally, I went home and I said, okay, I like baseball and I like sports. I like playing sports and I'm a good writer. What can I do? that involves, you know, all, all of these things while maybe not necessarily playing it. And so mm-hmm. I said, okay, look, I'm going to become a sports writer. And so that afternoon, I believe it was the Newport, Rhode Island little league field. I saw the curveball and I said, that's, that's really where my journey as a sports <laughs> writer began in a lot of ways. Hey, amazing. Just one curveball set you up for success later on. Exactly. <laughs> one curveball. <laughs> All right. Question four. If you could spend an afternoon with any athlete in history, who would it be? Wow. These are good questions. <laughs> um, 
You know what? I, I'm, I'm going to, I, my, my first thought is something big like Jesse Owens or Jim Thorpe or something like that, but I'm going to get personal. And I'll, I, Fred Lynn for me was my first baseball mm-hmm. hero. Fred Lynn for me was the guy who, when I saw that curveball, I was thinking of, I was trying to be Fred Lynn. Um, and so Fred Lynn is just, was the guy, everyone has this individual when they were growing up, the, 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 the athlete that they always aspired to be, that they wanted to be their guy. Obviously here in New England, it's changed dramatically over the years. I know for a while for me, it was, it was Larry Bird, but for me at that age, at that really important formative age was it was Fred Lynn. And so I think maybe spending an afternoon with Fred Lynn at Fenway park would be, would be it for me. A dream come true. (laughs) All right. Last question. So this is a little bit more baseball oriented. Maybe you did it in little league, but do you have any sort of baseball superstitions or rituals that you have to follow? Maybe when you're playing little league or maybe now with writing, going back to the Cape, anything like that. Don't touch the foul lines. Agreed. My, my son, my son who plays baseball too, as well. They don't, don't, we don't touch the foul lines. Yep. It's just those, those, you, you, you got to jump over them. You can't scuff them. The other thing too, is if you are approaching the plate as a hitter and the dugout is on the first base side and you're a right-handed hitter, you don't cross over the plate. You walk all the way around the back. Exactly. You walk <laughs> around that's the other thing for me. So I guess those are, the, those are the first two superstitions really that come to mind. I do the same thing. Even when I'm sideline reporting, I'm like, nope, I will not step on that. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, Christopher. Well, that's it for today. Appreciate your time. I thank you so much for coming on. Great episode. And we wish you nothing but the best of luck with all of your future endeavors with writing. Emma, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you guys having me on. And I look forward to a great Cape League season in 2022. Absolutely. Thank you. This is Emma Carmen signing off from Cape League Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast as well as follow us on social media at official CCBL on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you for all listening and have a wonderful week.